Coastal, how you guys doing? You guys just witnessed like every guitar player's dream <laughs> moment, you know, lay down on the stage and just shred it as much as you can. Can we give it up for, for our band? Don't they do a great job here? And just doing incredible, incredible things. Well, my name is TJ. I'm one of the pastors here. We're glad that you're with us. We're in a series called Mixtape, talking about love. Uh, sex, dating, and marriage, just, just talking about relationships. And before we kind of dive in today, uh, two things for you guys. First of all, uh, next weekend, everybody say next weekend. Next weekend is our eight-year anniversary as a church. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a good day. And so uh, being that it's our anniversary, if you've never been here for a coastal kind of anniversary service. We're going to still be in the mixtape series, but we do something a little bit different. Normally on anniversaries, people bring you gifts. We actually have a gift for everybody that comes next weekend. It's called our, our T-shirt Sunday. And so next Sunday, you show up at church, you, you get a coastal I Love My Church T-shirt. This is actually the shirt you're going to be getting next weekend. And so, uh, and this is for not just adults, but kids. We even have like onesies this year. Oh, 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 I know, I know that, I knew that that, that was, let's just pray and end the service, like that was gonna, that was gonna do it right there, and so it's gonna be an incredible weekend next weekend, so make sure you're here, because if you're not here, you know what you don't get? A t-shirt, so, so, I, like, if you're like, oh, I'm sending my girlfriend to go get one, sorry, she can have one, you can't, you gotta be here, be here or be square, we, we're, we hate on that Sunday. That's the only Sunday we hate on you if you're not here. And so anyways, we're, we're, it'll be a lot of fun. Also, uh, throughout the series, we're, we have a kind of Q&A at the end of the series. And so if you have questions about relationships, we'd love to answer those. Uh, we, we know that you have questions. And so if you're thinking about something, you have a question, you want to know something, text them in. It's anonymous. We'll answer those in a couple weeks. Shayla and I will get up here. Uh, we weren't going to do this this year, but it was backed by popular demand because people enjoy Shayla more than me. So it's cool. <laughs> but um, we started this series called Mixtape last week, and we talked about how back in the day, the 80s and 90s were a little bit different, and uh, you know, we didn't have all this technology going for us. And, and back in the day, if you wanted to communicate your, your love to somebody, you didn't, you didn't do like today and you make a Spotify playlist or you have an iTunes set up kind of like love songs or whatever. If you wanted to show your love, you made a mixtape, which means you would get on the radio and put together your favorite love songs to hand to somebody, whether that's a 60, 90, or 120-minute tape, depending on how much you love them, and give that to them and go, I love you this much. And so back in the day, things were just different. Technology was different. Growing up, kids, when they were bored, parents didn't have cell phones to give them. They didn't have iPads or computers. Back in the day, if you were bored, what did your parents give you? They gave you an Etch-A-Sketch. Anybody remember some Etch-A-Sketches from back in the day? Little drawing things. How many of you all were good at Etch-A-Sketch? How many of you guys, raise your hands, raise your hands. A couple of you, nerd, nerd, nerd. I'm sorry. <laughs> Had nothing better to do. Then play on the Etch-A-Sketch. <laughs> How many of you guys weren't good at the Etch-A-Sketch? Go ahead and raise your hands. My hand's up. So what would you do? When somebody, somebody had a good Etch-A-Sketch, they'd be like, oh, check this out. Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> you jack their Etch-A-Sketch up. If you don't know what that motion is, go get an Etch-A-Sketch. You'll find out really quick. But things, things were different back in the day. Growing up in school, we didn't have all this technology. We didn't have projectors. We didn't have speakers. But you knew that it was going to be a good day in class when you walked into class and saw this on the teacher's desk. 
You knew that it was movie day. You're going to learn something from Fat Albert that day. Hey, hey, hey. He's going to teach you something. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be fantastic. It's going to be a great, great day. Life was a little bit more dangerous as a kid. You went to McDonald's to play on the playground. McDonald's playgrounds weren't safe like they are today. They used to, they used to have stuff like this, you know, like all, all metal brackets. They just lock your kid in a hamburger. No net underneath there. That kid falls out. He's breaking something. Weren't about safety back in the day. In fact, your parents, your parents could care less about you. When you go on a road trip, when you're going traveling somewhere, this is what most of us rode in and where we rode in. Right there, right there, the back of the station wagon. They had that jump seat they put up and be like, get in the back, kids. And there's no seatbelts back there. We didn't care. Hey, if somebody's gonna hit us, let us yell. Yell, right? You, you need some air conditioning back there? Roll down your window. Kids today, they have no idea what roll down your window means. They're like, press a button? No. We had to physically roll down the window. It was tough. It's tough. But luckily, you could always count on during the summer going to the park and playing on something like this, though. You guys, you guys remember that? Look at that. Parents are looking at that. They're like, there's no guardrails. Exactly. No guardrails. Metal slide, no parameters to it. You know what was the worst thing about that slide is when it was summer, not only was it fun sliding down, but you got third degree burns while going down. You're like, <laughs> as soon as you go down, you're like, let's do it again, you know, and it's just, it's just different back in the day. Just different. And, and I started thinking about like, how in the world did we survive growing up in the 80s and 90s? And then it, then it hit me. Here's why. These guys. Flintstone vitamins. Fred and Barney. Mama be like, take your vitamins. You'd be like, I already ate seven. <laughs> All they were was a whole bunch of sugar and a little vitamin C, but you were eating your vitamins. Man, it was hard back in the day. How, how, how many of you guys... Uh, how many of you guys had allowances growing up? How many of you guys got an allowance from your parents? Couple of you? Yeah, I, I, I went to my parents and I asked them for an allowance. And my, this is what my dad told me. It's hard. He says, I'll give you an allowance. I allow you to live here. I allow you to have some food tonight. That's your allowance. Like, they were tough on us as kids. Like, back in the day, we didn't work as a kid. If you were bored, your parents put you to work. Today, if you're bored, what do they do? They give you a fidget spinner, right? Oh, here, entertain yourself. If I would have been on board, in fact, I found out my dad did give me a fidget spinner at the age of 10. Maybe you've seen one before. He's like, go fidget spinner those weeds out there, boy. It's like, what's up with that? Some of y'all got a fidget spinner too. Like some of you guys still have a fidget. I can't get rid of this thing. I'm bored. Go take care of the weeds. Things were different. You know, we didn't, if, if you want to build relationships, it's not like today. You just can't text somebody and start a conversation. Back in the day, you want to get to know somebody, you couldn't stalk them on Facebook. Couldn't stalk them on Twitter. You couldn't, you couldn't know what they like by looking at their Instagram pictures. Back in the day, we had to have this thing called game. If you wanted to get to know somebody. Anybody remember game? Anybody remember having some game back in the day? Kids today, they don't know about game. They're missing out on it. But back in the day, we had to learn about game. And hopefully, you know, middle school, you were terrible. You had no game whatsoever. You couldn't talk to anybody. High school, hopefully, you could, you could at least have a conversation. But you started learning about love in elementary school, didn't you? 
That's when you had your first love. That's when you first started falling in love. You were working on your game. And I found some kids this week that were working on their game, writing some notes. In fact, one kid wrote this. He says, I love you very much. I like you as much as cake. I love you more than anything in the world except cake, of course. But it's like, man, that girl's sweet. I like, she's like, cake. He, man, he's working on his game. This kid, this kid, next kid said, I'm sorry that I've been chasing you outside. If you will start to like me, I will not chase you. <laughs> Simple enough. Listen, you, you, you start liking me, I won't have to chase you any longer. That, like, God's still working that one right now, chasing some girls. How about this one? I'm not angry at you, and I'm not talking to you today and tomorrow. P.S. All day. P.S.S. I still love you. So he's leaving options open. <laughs> like today and tomorrow don't work out. There's always Thursday, you know. But my ultimate favorite is, is this last kid. This is what he wrote. I love you with all of my butt. I would say heart, but my butt's bigger. Some of y'all are like, I'm, that, I'm writing that down for Valentine's Day. <laughs> Tracing out my butt. Man. <laughs> Man, when we were kids, we were confused, weren't we? We were confused in junior high, confused in high school. I think some of us are still confused about love because we take all those experiences and we bring them into our relationships. And so many times in our relationships, we're looking for the wrong thing. We're looking, in, we're looking for that in love kind of feeling. We're looking for that stage that is equated out there most of the time in society of like, oh man, there's this attraction. And, and all of a sudden after I, there's this physical attraction, there's this, this emotion that goes along with that. And, and that's how most of us build our relationships. It's all off of physical attraction and emotion. We talked about it last week. It's about sex and chemistry and passion. And we're, we're looking for that. And you think about everything that you see in movies, everything you see in culture, everything you see in music, it's always dry driven by those couple of things. In fact, there would be complete segments of music that would not exist if relationships were not built off of those two things. Like, think about R&B. R&B would have no place in this world if it wasn't about physical and emotional, would it? Like, you wouldn't need breakup songs if you didn't need if it wasn't about physical and emotional. Nobody would know who boys the men were if it weren't for the physical and emotional aspect of relationships. How many of y'all know who boys the men are? Okay. How many of you don't know who boys the men are? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Okay. This, this service is an educated service. That's good. Well, then, then, then you'll know some, some things about this because we, we go through cycles and all of us have gone through cycles where we meet somebody, uh, we break up, then we go and we make up, we break up, we make up, we break up, we make up. And, and what you did growing up back in the day is in that cycle when you're in the breakup stage and the emotions are at an all-time high, right after the mixtapes came out and after we started getting good at those, they came out with CDs. And so CDs came out and they had this amazing thing called repeat. And so you could just put a song on during that breakup time and just leave it on repeat and just kind of wallow in it. Although we've come. Still 
It's woo. I belong to you. Woo. Yeah, we got it, right? So how we lived. Or we'd go to a different boys to men song. We don't even talk anymore. You abound. Yeah, some people know that. Don't even say I love you no more. <laughs> Saying how I feel is no longer allowed. Some people will work things out and some just don't know how to change. You got to get that falsetto. Not wait till the water runs dry. You know what I'm saying? So make sure it's the problem is, is in relationships, we look for the wrong thing. And last week we talked about it. Man, we 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 build this idea. If I can just find the right person, and we've been tearing down this right person myth. And the reason we got to tear that down is because we've got to understand that we've got to get a vision for our relationships. We've got to get a vision for our lives. And the greatest place that we can get a vision for our lives is from God. In fact, in Proverbs uh, chapter 29, verse 18, it says this, where there is no vision from God, the people run wild. But those who adhere to God's instructions know genuine happiness. And this is what I think. I think that every single one of us, we're looking for genuine happiness in our relationships. We're looking like, that's the kind of relationship I want to have. That's the kind of relationship I want to experience. But the only way that I'm going to experience that is if I know the vision from God. And a lot of us, instead of getting a vision for our lives from God, we're getting a vision for our lives and we're getting a blueprint from our lives from somewhere else. And when we take somewhere else's blueprint and we try to build our lives off that, we wonder why it gets jacked up. And so what happens for a lot of us is we build the relationship the wrong way. We take what the world does and we say, oh, that must be how relationships happen. So let me go ahead and build that. And so what we do is we start our relationships off physical. You see somebody and it's like, ooh, oh, nice, oh. That's how a God, that's how a God works. Single syllable. It's all he experiences. And after there's a physical attraction, all of a sudden it becomes emotional. And when emotions get involved in this, and you guys all remember that emotional stage where you're giddy, you're like, oh my gosh, he's so handsome. <laughs> bruh, dude, dude, bruh, she's like so hot. And all you think about it all day long is like, dude, I just can't wait to talk to her tonight. It's going to be so great. And you, you call her up on the phone. Just, just by a show of hands, how many of y'all have ever had a conversation on the phone, like with somebody you're interested in, or maybe you ended up marrying that for an hour? Raise your hands. Raise your hands. Been on the phone for an hour? Two hours? Keep it up. Keep it up. Three hours? Four hours? Five hours? Six hours? What is wrong with you? Seven hours? Eight hours? There's somebody with their hand still up in the back. You get on the phone and at that point, all you're doing is you're just listening to each other breathe, making sure they're still alive, right? Here's why you stay on the phone that long, because you're, I'm just so excited to talk to you. And the, other, the one's like, uh, I got a test in the morning. Okay. But I can't hang up. I can't hang up either. <laughs> Let's count to three and then hang up. Okay. 
One, two. Wait, 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 wait. Are we, are we hanging up on three or after three? <laughs> on three. One, two, three. Are you still there? Yeah. <laughs> That'll go on for like two hours. Because that is the emotional phase. And, and we don't want to lose that, so we don't ever really talk about anything for real in the relationship. Then, then we take it social, and we start introducing them to our friends, and all of our friends are like, oh, they're so awesome, I love them. And pretty soon we move to interpersonal, and that's where we start to realize, like, oh my gosh, they're, they're weird. They're weird, and like, they do weird things, and I don't know why they're doing those things, and and a lot of times, here's, here's what happens is the relationship starts to get on the rocks. And, and in order to try to fix the relationship, people decide, well, we better put God in the relationship. So I'm going to go find a priest or I'm going to go find a rabbi or I'm going to go find a pastor. And I'm going to put God into the relationship so that he can fix all of this dysfunction at this point. And we try to pile God on top of it. And, and we wonder why the relationship doesn't work out. We wonder why there's so much guilt and shame in the midst of it and why our last-ditch effort to just kind of toss God into the middle of it didn't work. And it's not the parts of the equation that are jacked up. It's the order in which the equation is built that creates the problem. And see, where we get this, this created problem from is what I call Hollywood's formula for love. And Hollywood gives us this formula in every single thing that they do. They, they'll tell you, number one, all you got to do is find the right person. You just go find the right person. They will love you for you. They'll, they'll not complain about your idiosyncrasies. They won't complain about your bad habits. They won't complain about your addictions because they're just going to love you for you. And all you've got to do is then, number two, is all you got to do is just fall in love with them. Because that's how love works. You just, you just kind of fall into it and it just works at that point. You're just falling into this love for one another. And then number three, what you do is you fix all of your hopes and your dreams on that person because they're going to complete me. You complete me. And then four, if failure occurs, repeat steps one, two, three. And people think, well, I'll just go out and find another right person. It's why some people are married today and thinking, oh my gosh, I married the wrong person. I better go find that person. Listen, you want a foolproof way of figuring out if you married the right person? It's going to take a little bit of work, but married people, this is what you do. You go home today, and you go to that safety deposit box or that cabinet where you keep all of your important papers. You look through there, and you find your marriage license. And you look at the name of the person that you're married to, and if that's the person you're living with, that's the right person. There it is. You found them. Congratulations. I don't know if you realize this, but this is not working. And God has got a, a different order to this. And, and what he says is, man, we've got to, I don't want to ruin my little blocks here. I, he said, we've got to start with the spiritual first. He said, this is what we begin with. You've got to develop your relationship with God before I ever develop my relationship with you. This has got to be the most solid thing in my life. And here's the problem that most people have, is 
The two become one before the one ever became one. And so what you have is somebody that's not whole going and looking for another person that isn't whole trying to make that a singular person. And what ends up happening is you put all these expectations on somebody to give you things that only God can give you. And so we need to build our relationship on the foundation. And then very quickly, what we need to do is we need to, we need to take a social. We need to, we need to develop some relationships. We need to develop some friendships. Notice that God is your source and people are your resource. Most of us have it backwards. We think God is our resource and people are our source. And goes, God goes, no, 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 no. I'm your source. I'm the foundation of everything. And then what you need to do is you need to add some friendships. You need to add some people to this and become complete in me and then have people in your life. And here's how you start to discover if somebody's a good match. You start to see what their friendships are like. Well, he's not like his friends. Yes, he probably is. Well, they don't know Jesus yet, and, and, and I'm going to help win them to Christ. Listen, you can't out-Jesus Jesus. Don't try to Jesus juke Jesus. It doesn't work. Stop missionary dating. Find somebody else who has allowed God to be their source instead of allowing you to be their source. Then you take it interpersonal. You start to learn about them. You start to learn about their likes and their dislikes and, and how, they, how they handle life and what their goals and dreams are and what their value systems and, and how they manage, manage money because most marriages can't handle somebody walks into the relationship with $120,000 in credit card debt. But I love you. Uh-uh. <laughs> Just can't do it. See, and what's interesting is if you notice right here, at this point, you're keeping your emotions and physicality at bay. They have not been added to the equation. And what this does is this sets you up in life so that you're not going to, if you find something wrong in the relational world, you find out that, man, that we're not very connected skill-wise and where we want to go and hopes and dreams together. You can walk away from that relationship with very little damage to yourself. Because if all of this falls apart, notice what is bigger than everything. Jesus. And when everything crumbles, he can handle it all. And when you do it this way, then, then as you're developing a healthy relationship, you add emotions into it and, and, and you get engaged. And, and after you get married, you get winky face. And that part of marriage is awesome. Then it becomes physical. I have couples come to me all the time and say, Pastor DJ, man, we're going to get married. And I'll go, why are you getting married? Because we're so in love. And I'll be like, that's stupid. Notice the nervous laughter. Because they're like, ha, 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 that's me. Because they think that love is going to be enough. But love doesn't determine compatibility. Love doesn't determine long-term goals. I mean, do you know, do you like them when their hair's messed up? Have you seen them without their makeup on? Might be a totally different person. <laughs> Sis South Florida. Anyways. Uh, <laughs> Ephesians chapter 5 gives us some insight. It says this, it gives, lays a great foundation. Ephesians 5 verses 1 and 2. 
Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Now, the, the context of Ephesians is amazing. Chapters 1 through 3 is all about you and your personal relationship with Jesus and understanding that God loves you and that you're complete in him and that through his death, burial, and resurrection that you have got this amazing, amazing inheritance and that you're redeemed from your past and your past doesn't matter and you've got a future in God. And then it starts to kind of change it up and, and say, like, but how do you interact with other people? Now that you're complete in Christ, now that this is the foundation, where do you go from here? And so God kind of gives us a prescription for relationships that's a little bit different than Hollywood's. And so number one, if you're taking notes, we need to stop looking for the right one and start becoming the right one. Stop looking for the right one and start becoming the right one. Because a lot, what a lot of us have done is we've gone out on social media and we've created a persona of ourselves that isn't really us. And God says the thing that you need to do is you need to figure out who you are in Christ. Who do I say you are? And then what you need to do is you need to start to imitate Jesus in your life. You need to walk like him. You need to talk like him. You need to love like him. You need to serve like him. You need to start to imitate who he is. Because if you don't, if you don't become like Christ, all of your relationships will be based on who somebody else is rather than who Christ is in your life. Then you'll walk into a relationship, and that relationship will become a codependent relationship instead of an interdependent relationship, and you'll be expecting them to do things for you that only a holy God can give you in your life. You'll go, why aren't you pleasing me? Why aren't you making me happy? Because they're incapable of giving you something that can only be given to you by Jesus Christ. Listen, if you don't get this right, you will go on a search that will hurt your life so bad. And I call it the search for significance. And what will happen is because you haven't found your significance right here, you'll start going and searching for somebody else to give you significance, worth, and value. It's why a 45-year-old woman will leave her husband and two children and go off and hook up with a guy because he said she was pretty and she hasn't heard that in 20 years because she hasn't found her significance in Jesus. And that guy's given her significance for the first time. Is like, there it is. That's what I've been looking for. And will leave everything and run after it. And it's this vicious cycle that so many people get in. The relationship that we have got to get set first is the relationship with God. Otherwise, you'll search everywhere for the significance. It's why guys a lot of times will go and, and try to prove that they're a man. They move from boyhood to manhood. What they'll do to prove that is they'll go have sexual partner after sexual partner after sexual partner to prove, I'm a man. I'm significant. And that's just playground mentality, guys. That's like a little kid when they get toys and they invite their friends over and that friend comes over and tries to take that new toy. What does that kid say? He says, mine. That's mine. This is mine, not yours. Mine, because that toy brings significance. That toy brings power. That toy brings wealth. And what a lot of guys have done is they've walked around and said, she's mine, that girl's mine, that girl's mine. And until we can get to this point where we say, not mine, Lord, but your will. 
Not my way, but your way. We will consistently search for significance in life through other people. Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 7 says, But God, being rich in mercy and because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. See, we need to realize that we are purchased with a price and it was by grace that we've been saved and we need to realize that our value isn't gonna come in other people. It's already been placed by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And every day we need to wake up and say, Christ is my value. He bought me with a price and I'm gonna stop looking for somebody to complete me and I'm gonna find my wholeness and my worth in Jesus and Jesus alone. Then number two, instead of falling in love, we need to walk in love. What Ephesians 5 tells us is it tells us to walk in love. This isn't a stroll on the beach. This means I'm going to live my life full of self-sacrifice where it's about other people and it's not about me. And this doesn't just pertain to your love life. This pertains to every relationship in your life. In fact, I, I put this in your notes because I think it's so powerful. If we can get this, I think it's going to be a game changer. When you learn to live as one who is loved, you will learn to love better. And when you learn to love better, you'll be able to receive better love. See, when I'm down here and I'm living as one who is loved, all of a sudden it changes the game for me because all of a sudden I can start to look at other people and I can start to look at other relationships and I can realize who are the people that are walking in the same kind of love that I'm experiencing. And those people all of a sudden become compatible with me in life and all of a sudden we can start to move together up the pyramid of life and discover what God has for us. And you can't do that if you're looking for the right one. You're just gonna find another half who will never make you whole in Christ. Think about every movie, every TV show that you've ever watched. It's always somebody's in a relationship with somebody else, and they see somebody for the first time. And the other person sees them, and you can, as the music starts to rise up in the film, you can see it in the actor's eyes that, man, there is this emotion, there is this connection that is there in that moment. And it's all about the way you make me feel. There's this, there's this emotional connection. It's about this feeling. They just make me feel something. And we go, that's love. My friends, no, that's lust. See, lust is looking at somebody and going, man, they're going to do something for me. They're going to fulfill something for me. And so I long for that because it isn't serving them, it's serving me. And what the world has told us over and over and over again is that those feelings, that's what love is. That love is this emotion. And therefore, when the feeling's gone, I must not be in love anymore. And that's just a lie. Love 
It's not an emotion. It's not a feeling. And I know some of you guys would, are going to argue with me. No, no. They're, like Emotions are totally in love. Yes, there are aspects of emotion in love, but love is not a feeling. Love is not an emotion. Love is a choice. Love is an action. Love is a verb. According to Scripture, love is a command, which kind of changes the whole emotional outlook in life because I can't command an emotion from you. Everybody be sad. Some of y'all giggled at me. Why? I told you to be sad. Why? Because I can't command you to feel something that you don't feel. I can't command your emotions. However, God commands us to love, which tells me then love is not an emotion because God would have never commanded it then. When Jesus was confronted and said, hey, what's the most important commandment? What did he say? He said, love the Lord your God. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He's saying, listen, you have a choice. Even when you don't feel like loving God, you've got to make a choice to love God. Even when the emotions aren't there, you still have to choose to love in that situation, even when you don't feel like it. And then he continues and says, love your neighbor as yourself. So in essence, he says, the person that you're married to, the person that you committed till death do us part for the rest of our life, and you go, well, I don't feel like loving. It's not that you don't feel like loving. It's that you stopped acting in loving ways. Some of y'all need to hear that again. It's not that you don't feel loving. It's that you stopped acting in loving ways. You remember when you first got married? Your spouse would lay their head on your chest. They'd hear your heartbeat. Be like, I love your heartbeat. Your heart beats for me. I wish I could hold your heart. Then after a couple years of marriage and a couple fights, they're like, if you died, my heart would go on and on. Why? Because it's got to be more than a feeling. You choose to love or you don't. The problem is that some of us feel like the marriage isn't working, so therefore the marriage isn't worth working on it's just not true i understand what happens is time happens unmet expectations happen gravity happens there's some things (laughs) maybe not that last part but anyways (laughs) we've stopped loving and we've started living for ourselves which brings us to number three instead of fixing your hopes and dreams on another person, fix your hope on God and seek to please him through your relationship. Unfortunately, no person can come through for you all the time. Why? Because people will fail you. People aren't perfect. They're going to let you down. And listen, if you set your affections and your hopes and your dreams on people, it's always going to come crumbling down. But if we'll set our hopes and our dreams and our affection on an unchanging and unfailing God, he will never let a life fall apart. When you realize that, that even when people fail me, God never will, that changes the game. And then number four, if failure occurs, repeat steps one, two, and three. 
Notice both have an option for failure. And the reason why is because relationships are hard, but the steps are completely different. Notice Hollywood's plan is if it fails, go back and find another right one. God's plan is if it fails, go back and start becoming the right one. Hollywood's plan is, says just go and fall in love with somebody else. And God's plan says, no, no, no. Instead of falling in love with somebody else, why don't you start to go and learn how to walk in love again and start to act in loving ways? Hollywood tells us, find your soulmate and put all of your hope and your trust and your faith in them. And God says, no, 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 no. Put your hope and your faith and your trust in Jesus. Notice how different they are. Hollywood is this, put all the hope in you. And God says, put all the hope in me. And when you put the hope in me, that's the best foundation you can possibly do. Listen, I understand that even when you do this, there's going to be some times that it's difficult. There's going to be some times that it's painful. There's going to be some times where things aren't going right. But here's what I do know. The average divorce rate in America is 50% right now in the church and just in regular living. But Chip Ingram, who's a pastor, did a study and he said that he found that there were three factors that when these three factors put into place, it changed the game when it came to failed relationships. Three factors were number one, families that went to church weekly. Not once a month, not once every six weeks, but every single week they made a commitment to go to church together. Number two, husbands and wives that prayed together on a regular basis. And number three, husband and wife that individually had private time with God. He said when those three factors were in play, in other words, when they were focused on becoming the right person, divorce rates went down to the single digits. You want to know how to have a healthy, effective, wholesome relationship? Build your foundation right.